Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, the shark baby has such teeth there. And it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife. Has old Maggie Heath, babe And it keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bites So welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take. Me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin steering the ship as always. Hope everybody's in, in good form. And today our guest is a man who's been on before, but not for quite a while. He made a bit of a cameo appearance in Saudi as well. Uh, a friend of the show, a man of many boxing hats, former fighter. I think he'd probably describe himself as a former promoter now, top trainer and manager and king of the Soccer AM Crossbar Challenge. It's Dave Coldwell. <laughs> Dave, how are you doing? Yeah, that's, I'm all right, thanks, mate. That's that's the best one, that last one. I can't imagine the amount of points you got with uh, with your son Theo for <laughs> for hitting the crossbar. Yeah, was it David time, David Dunn? Hundreds of Premier League appearances. He yes, did manage that's, it. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, got plenty of plenty of points on that one. Plenty of points on that one. So I'll just point out at this stage that we're recording this on Monday the twenty fourth, and we've got a bit of a free week, me and Matt. So we're we're doing a few podcasts, getting them in the can. Uh, to drop over the next few weeks. So it's just a couple of days after Dillian White's fight against Alexander Povetkin. Um, it'll be a little bit longer ago than that by the time you, you hear this. So we do need to have a quick a quick look back on that because it was an incredibly dramatic evening and we learned of your involvement quite late on during fight week. How Simple question, how was it? What the the fight itself, or, or the, 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 the whole thing, the whole involvement? Um, so middle of July, oh, July, I think it was about July fifteenth, middle of July. Um, Dillian just reached out and just said that he um might need my my help on fight night if that's all right. And I said, listen, what whatever you need, not a problem. Um, I get on with Dillian really well. Uh, we have done for for years. You know, see each other at shows, keep in touch over Instagram all the time. Um, just you know, he's he's, he's a he's a you know he's a big fan of little boys football and stuff like that. So yeah, um, we keep in touch all the time. Um, and uh, then about I uh, I kind of don't take things as until something's all sorted and arranged. I don't think anything's gonna happen. I just think, all right, I've said that I'm available. There you go. Um, and then about um, a week before the fight, I was back at home out of quarantine, I put up a picture and he just messaged me back saying, don't forget, um, you're in quarantine um, next week. So uh, then I went down on the Thursday, got tested, um, saw his final, watched his final pad session with his coach on Thursday evening and and I was there from then. Um, obviously, you know, the fight right, didn't end in a good way. Um, I've got to say, out of 
all the fights that I've been involved in, and it's a, don't get me wrong, the worst night was 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 Bellew against Usyk and how that ended. That that forever is is the worst night. But the most eerie and it's such a it's um, it's just a weird weird vision and memory I've got of this is where because it's I think it's because there was no crowd and how everything was going and then he gets hit and I've got the view where he gets hit and then just goes back backwards and falls in and it's apart from Povetkin's team screaming it's just quiet and it's just eerie and it's just it's horrible I mean I don't know if you've been around I mean Matt you you've probably done it to a few people but in, in sparring when the gym's quite quiet if you've laid somebody out and you see so or you're there and you see somebody get knocked out in sparring, it's that horrible sort of sickening sort of eerie feeling because the gym's quiet and everything like that. But this was worse because it was, you know, it was, it was on a big stage and everything. It was, it was, yeah, it was weird. It was awful. Um, so yeah, it's it's not, you know, it's not it's not nice. I mean, I, I, I thought exactly the same thing, and and I said that to Tony actually, who we were working with um, on the night that it was. It was all the more dramatic almost for the setting. I mean, you look around and we're kind of in the gardens almost of a kind of stately home, not quite, but nearly. And it is almost like, you know, you go back a couple of centuries to a couple of fellas, you know, fighting a duel and uh, and it's an against the law. So no one's allowed to watch it. And they're in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere. And it's incredibly serious, but no one kinds of kind of sees it, apart from the fact that hundreds of thousands of people saw it because it was on TV. But in terms of who was there, there was no one really... No one really there. It, it, how was he after the fight? I saw him in the bus on the way back to the to the Holiday Inn, and he seemed positive. He seemed to want to try and move on from it as quick as he could. Do you know what? I spent I spent a couple of days around Dillian now, and and then where we we're in close proximity, and and I get to see his personality more. Do you know what surprised me? He is so. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've always, like I said, I get on with him. I like him, or whatever. But I thought it was going to be more high maintenance and I thought it was going to be um, more difficult. But he's a really nice kid. A really, really nice kid. Um, you know, full of jokes, full of banter. And it's very hard when, you know, obviously I know there's people that he has beef with and so, that, you know, they're not going to get this. But it's very hard not to like when you're around him. Um, and after the fight, he handled it so well. I mean... It was in a state of shock in the ring. It just couldn't, it was like, like a lot of people when they get knocked out, they don't understand what's just happened. Um, but it was just pure shock and, and he, he, he didn't understand what had happened and he was just, he was sick. It was, it was fuming with himself straight away. You know, as soon as he come around, he was like, straight away, he was fuming with himself. Um, but then after the fight, um, it was still, you know, it was making sure everybody else was all right and, you know, he got back to the hotel and he got all his team around him and everything. He was thanking everybody for you know, for, for the work they put into a long camp. He said, you know, I know it's been a long, it's been hard. He said, but uh, you know, thanks for thanks to you all. You know, his, his management, his, his coaches, his SNC coaches, everybody, everybody was there. Um, it was just concerned, making sure that everybody else was. Right. It was like, listen, you know, it's it's one of those things. You know, I'm still learning on the job. Um, we'll go back, we'll learn, we'll come back, you know, get the rematch. All his intent on is the rematch. Straight away, straight away, even before he left the ring, he was like, you know, get the rematch, get the rematch, you know. So he took it really, really well in that in, in, in that manner, you know. Well, the rematch should happen in, in, in December time. So just good to get a little bit of a chat with you about that. But um, there's not all that much more to say about it than that. That's the, that's the thing about heavyweight boxing. People, people have to accept that that one punch can change everything. A very slight mistake, sometimes not even a mistake, and you pay a really heavy price for it. And now we'll just have to wait and see what happens. In boxing, whatever way it is, right, to to get in and get out without taking a power shot is, is very, very difficult, right? But in heavyweight boxing, that one power shot, if it lands on the right spot at the right time, it turns your lights out more so than, than any other weight division. You know, we always say anybody can knock anybody out, but you've got a you've got a, a, a proven world class puncher that's in front of you, right? And especially short range punching is fantastic, right? And if he lands, and, and we all know what what uppercuts are like when you get hit with uppercuts, the hellacious shots, you know. And and he he landed it, he landed the shot. But I don't buy into this where it was just one shot, it was just one lucky shot. You know, Povetkin in, in in the first couple of rounds was landing a lot of body shots. 
you know, and I, it all adds up. It all it all plays a part to what what an end product is, you know. Um, and so it wasn't just one lucky shot. Um, no, yes, well, Dylan, Dylan was doing well in the fight. But sorry, Dave, it wasn't it wasn't a lucky shot because you it's it's a great no, shot. No, but I've seen some people ball. some yeah some people say that. But yeah, but it was against the flow of the fight. What it was massively against the flow of the fight. I mean, Dillian had put him down twice in the fourth. He was boxing well. He was yeah. in control. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He was in but it, but, but even though he was in control, it was it was yeah it was in control. But but you always felt because you saw Pekin kept landing that left hook underneath. Kept landing left up to the body, and you know, Matt, you was a great body puncher. You know what that can do to fighters as rounds go on. Even it doesn't have to be late rounds. Just makes them a little bit more lethargic, takes the concentration away, puts their elbows in certain positions, and you could see that he was he was getting those shots off. And so Povetkin, being the clever fighter that he is, switched it up. I, I think the round before he missed, he went for it and he missed the uppercut, and then he landed. He landed on you know in in, in round five. Yeah, I think a lot of the drama, I think, in terms of what, like, what I alluded to there, sorry, was it was the flow of the fight. You know, the you know it started, it was, it was yeah, competitive yeah. early on. Like you say, Povetkin was backing mm-hmm. him up. He was working the body. Dillian was staying tight. He was landing jabs and straight rights. He was staying really tight. He wasn't picking, he was picking his punches, wasn't wasting much. Um, but I think by the fourth round with the t- two knockdowns, particularly the second one being a, a bit more of a heavy knockdown, it looked like, oh, well, the writing's on the wall here now. They're probably a round or two away. If Dillian yeah. keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to get the yeah. stoppage. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly how I thought, yeah. Bang, yeah. one punch, and the fight's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I thought when he came back after the fourth round, I thought if you keep doing, if you, the jab, everything was coming off the jab, and he was set, his power shots were getting set up by the jab. He was taking more and more steam out of, of protecting with the jab. I thought if you just keep doing what you've been doing now for another two rounds, he's only got another two rounds in him. That's that's what I've learned since that apparently um, his corner. Um, I think I think the guys uh, the guys at Dazone they've got a translator from Russian or something like that. Um, Chris Lloyd was saying to me that they were saying that it was giving him that last round. It was giving him round 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 five, and then that was it because he couldn't. They didn't want him taking two more big bombs. Um, so you know he. he he manoeuvred and he, and he pulled out the shot. You know, it was a fantastic world class shot, and, and unfortunately, Dylan, it, it landed. It was. It was. It was perfectly, perfectly executed, uh, and and the credit for that goes to him. So uh, we'll move this on now uh, to a different discussion, and this is one I've been looking forward to for a while. It's something I've been wanting to get into for a while, and we touched on it on occasions. Um, but it's time for a, for a deep dive, and Dave was always earmarked for this because I think he's kind of the perfect person to, to talk to about it for a number of reasons and, and I'll explain why once I've introduced the, the topic and, and the topic is the idea, the concept of natural talent in, in sports and whether it even really exists and if it does, to what extent it exists because people talk about it a lot, talent and talented is something you hear an awful lot. I've just been watching the cricket downstairs on on Sky, and they were talking about the same kind of thing, and the amount of times that the, the word was used in the context of the discussion was was huge. Uh, and certainly, when I was playing sport as a kid in the youth in the eighties and nineties, it, it was it was it was everywhere. Basically, it was a means of explaining, basically, simply put, why some people are so much better than others. Um, and it is a it, it's quite a a convenient way to to explain it for, for athletes at times because you know. How do you explain why somebody is, is so much better at something seemingly than you are? So people really bought into it, this idea that, that it was an actual thing. And they talk about it being in the DNA, in the bones, genetic, all this kind of stuff. But over the last few years, a different school of thought has, has kind of emerged. And, and, and it's always been around, but it's been given a bit more of a voice. Matthew Sides written a couple of books about it, which I've, which I've read. And their theory is that it's more down to conditions. It's not about some kind of mythical magical thing in your bones it's about your environment and what you're exposed to from a young age so i'll give you an example just to just to try and make this as accessible right from the beginning as i can let's say you've got two parents who are both professional athletes they have a child uh, and that child goes on to be a professional athlete now when i was 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 playing sport like i say as as, as a kid 
the school of thought there, that would have been very easy to explain, that the kid went on to be a pro because the two parents were pros and it was in his or her's blood. You know, as long as they had the enthusiasm for it, then they were going to make it because they were preordained to make it. They had this massive head start that nobody else that nobody else had. It was just in their wiring that they will be naturally good at this. Now, the counter argument to that from the conditions lobby, if you like, is it's not that there's no there's no secret gene here or anything like that. What that's about is the fact that that kid is born into a professional environment, a professional sporting environment. I've got amazing role models to learn from and observe at close quarters. And sport is all around them from the very second that they're born. It's in their kitchen, in their nutrition. It's in them being encouraged to exercise. Their parents' friends will be athletes. They'll have great equipment. They'll know all the right coaches, all of these things. So if you've got the motivation for it, that's why, if you're born into that environment, that's why you will succeed. It's not some kind of magical element. So hopefully I've set it up now and um, credit to you for not nodding off there during what was quite a, a lengthy explanation. So anyway, Mac- Macklin was, was an elite level performer. So obvious why he's, he's, he's well qualified to talk about this. But Dave particularly so because he was a fighter and he was in a gym where there was a range of fighters, but but you had one, say, in, in, in Prince Nassim Hamed, who would be described, without exception, as outrageously talented. And look at, look at what he did. And people would say that was down to his talent. But there was another one in there as well, Johnny Nelson, who insists that he had no talent whatsoever and that he got all the way there through hard work. So that's one thing. Uh, obviously, he trains fighters uh, at different stages of their careers too, which is important. Some of them right from the beginning, some of them when they're more established. Um, and a lot of people know this, but not everybody. He's also dad to uh, a son in Theo who's showing some real ability, potentially. Everything's potential at his age as a as a footballer. So he's kind of around this whole debate, if you like, all the time. Um, so let's just dive straight in. Dave, I'm kind of asking you to explain the the, the meaning of life in sporting terms here, really. But but do you believe in natural talent? Does it exist? And if it does, to what extent does it? Right. I'm not saying I'm right. But when I when when somebody says to me, I can describe it better with my kid, right? Because I understand exactly what he has to do to look like what he does when he's playing football, right? And people say, he's a natural. He's naturally talented. No, he's not. He's not at all. Because he works his socks off to become what he is. He has two weeks off. I said to him, I, you know, he had his birthday and a, a, a week. I said to him, have, a, have your week off your birthday. He had a week off after that. Don't do anything. He just just, just had no football. Didn't kick a football for two weeks. Came back. Gone absolutely right down back to square, almost square one. Honestly, his touch were off his shooting were off everything were off he worked so hard at it and so when somebody says the same of a fighter somebody says oh he's natural is this you discredit in the work ethic that they have to have to get to that level you know fighters have to work so hard you can have this talent you can walk in and you can pick things up quicker than somebody else now I believe that there are some people that and it might, it might be down to genetics um, some people Physically, where the, the the gifted in the fact that the the way that the muscles are, the way that the, the, the fibers are, the nerve, any, they'll respond to things better than others. So, say for instance, somebody who's got fast twitch will respond to that sort of action better than somebody that's not. Now, that is that is your physical makeup. So that's going to give you uh, a leg up on certain elements there. But if the guy who's got the fast twitch and he, he can do this naturally doesn't condition himself. To, to be able to do it after round, after round, after round, after round, the guy who's not got that can still beat him, still can still out, so, um, outdo him in his career, you know? Just because you have got talent. It's like, so Johnny, Johnny didn't, I was there for years, you know? I was there when Johnny was, I think, in his first reign as British champion as a cruiserweight. And I used to get told off of Brendan all the time what Johnny was like. You know, and I see the difference of Johnny back then to how how I watched him, how hard he worked. He worked harder than anybody in that gym. And I've seen so many fighters come and go from that gym. Nobody outworked him. Somebody else, John Paxton, nobody outworked these people, right? Then you'd have Naz, who would come into the gym. He could have 
two months off after a fight, come in, you'd watch him on day one, and you think, it looks like he's not, he's, he's, he's never been out of gym. But then he couldn't sustain it for day two, day three, day four, because his body were absolutely shattered from the efforts that put into it. But what people don't see or don't talk about is the work that Naz and Brendan put in from six years old, seven years old, all the way through that made it repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. So it became, so it looked like it was natural because that, that's just how he is. When, when you learn to walk, you have to be taught that at the beginning. You're not, natu- you're not a natural walker when you're born. You, you, it's something you develop. If, you're, if you never get up and start crawling, if, if you never start trying to climb up onto your feet, if you never do this process that there is, you'll never just walk normally like somebody else. You have to go through stages. And I think that, that by saying that somebody's naturally talented when they're successful, it's discrediting all the hard work that gets there. Like, yes, some people pick things up quicker. I can teach two fighters the exact same thing. Twins, Jamie, Jamie and Gav McDonald. I couldn't teach them, I couldn't train them the both way, both the same way because physically, mechanically, Gav's a little bit more mechanical and, and built in a different way to what Jamie is. Jamie's more smooth. But in picking things up as well, on a pure boxing sense, Jamie would pick up the, the sharpness and, the, and the, uh, the speed sort of things quicker than what, what Gavin would. But the twins. So, so some people can pick things up differently to other people. And some people adapt differently to other people. And so depending on what field it is, they will have that, maybe perhaps a little bit of an advantage. So then they can absorb things quicker and it doesn't take as long. Whereas others do. So Matt, you were 100% described as naturally talented when you were a young fighter, because you, you hit the kind of, uh, you hit the, hit the heights early. You boxed for England. Uh, you won senior ABA title at 18 years old, turned pro young. All of that, people listening will be will be aware of the back, back story. So that ad- adjective would, would have been applied to you. Macklin is a naturally talented fighter. So what, what I want to know is, it's, it's, kind of, it's a two-part question, this really. When you were coming through, was there a point at which you realised, um, I'd imagine there was, so at what point did you realise, actually, you know what, I'm a lot better at this than the other lads my age in the gym. Uh, and the second part to the question is, when you realised that, did you stop to kind of ponder why that was? What was it about you that made you better than them? Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! No, so I mean, as a junior, I won my first. As a schoolboy, I won my first four fights. When I went into the gym, and the first night I hit the bag, and that the coach there said, "God, you, you know," said to me, he, "He looks like he's a talented kid. He, you know, he, he already's shaping up pretty good. He has ne- he's never been in the gym before." So, I, I played a lot of sport up until that point. You know, football. I played uh, rugby at school, cricket, Gaelic football, hurling. You know, hurling was something that, you know, the age of, that's probably the first sport I ever played. And, you know, that, I was playing that over here in England. It's an Irish sport. And when I was going back to Ireland, I was as good, you know, even not better than the people now. Now, that was something I played and practised up against the wall every single night for hours. So there's, there was, was I naturally talented? Yeah, I picked things up quickly. I had good hand-to-eye coordinate, hand-eye ball, foot coordination, Physically, athletic, uh, mentally determined, get stuck in that to all those ingredients. But there was definitely um, an obsessive, an obsession within me, whatever I was doing, that I would repeat, 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 practice, 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 like completely. So I, I think there's, I don't think either side of this argument is absolute. I think, because yeah. and, and other people that I've been involved with and played with and seen them, 
you know, they pick things up quickly. They're, they're, they've got a good eye. You know, they've got good, you know, they, they just catch a ball. They can pick up a hurley stick or kick a football. They've just got that good hand-to-eye ball coordination. And, and they're blessed with speed or, or, or strength or explosive like they said about talking about the fast twitches. And those things are going to help you in sport. But if you don't apply that, most, yeah. most, most people that have made it in sport have been obsessive about it. They have practiced longer and harder than anyone else. And that's why they, because otherwise it's just potential. You know, if you don't yeah. put the work in, it's only potential. You, you can be blessed with gifts, like, like I say, the, the coordination, the good eye, the phys- you know, physical, um, you know, athleticism. But if you don't put the work in, it's only that potential will never be realised. Like Dave yeah. said there, Asim Hamed, yeah, Naz was obviously blessed with, with things. He was gifted. He had those reflexes. He had he had the coordination. He had outstanding power. But Naz, you see the video footage when he was eight, nine years old. He was in that gym morning, noon, and night. Yeah. And when he wasn't yeah. in that gym, I guarantee you, he was thinking about it. And I was yeah. I was definitely like that. Whatever sport at different stages, other sports were more important. Obviously, got late teens. Boxing became more important, but. I was very much, I was that person that used to read the cover to cover, you know, the magazine, read it. I knew who everyone was. I'd be in the gym early. I'd be the last one to leave, first in, last out. Um, you know, and I, and I think mo- most people that end up making it, they're j- I, I, maybe not maybe not at the end of the careers or maybe not midway through it, but certainly on the rise on the way up, 90% of those people will have been the first in the gym and the last ones out. Hundred percent, I I agree with that. Hundred percent, and and like e- even with myself, I know I didn't do anything as a, as a fighter, but there was nobody in my and you touched on it about your environment and parents and things like that. There was nobody in my family that was athletic. My dad was a big man; he was about eighteen stone, nineteen stone. Couldn't even run to go if to have a kick about. He just kicked the ball as far as he could, and and I would run like a dog playing fetch. I would run and go and get the ball. That was that was his idea of taking me for a kick about. I didn't have anybody around me that, that was athletic, that was sport, nobody interested in sport, watching sport, anything. I took that on myself to start. And I remember the first time we ever went to a weights gym was with school. And I was, I think I was 14 years old. And it was the most embarrassing experience of my life because I was seriously the weakest out of everybody. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. We went to this bodybuilding gym, all these different tiny little dumbbells, barbells. I couldn't do anything. I was the weakest one out of everybody. I changed that by because I worked hard. I worked hard in the gym. You know, when I, when I started boxing at 15, I worked so hard at that. I worked so hard and, and carried on in my life. I worked so hard. And, and I read somewhere that your genetics can change can, can, and adapt when you do things a certain length of time. So, because I was always worried about my genetics passing on to my my if I had kids, how that would be. Because I was like literally just a, a proper skinny little weed, and and with no strength or nothing. But you know, I look at I look at my little boy. He's been born into an environment where there's boxing on TV, there's football on TV. You know, I'm I'm get up in the morning, and I'll do my press ups. So as he's got older, he started getting up in the morning doing his press up. He started picking things up. You know, he doesn't box. He's not a boxer. But when he comes into the gym and he's watching, you know, every so often he comes in and watches the lads train. So then when he started putting his gloves on and just doing a couple of rounds on the bags, I don't coach him at all. Don't coach him at all. On lockdown, we did a couple of little bit of pads, but I don't coach him. He can punch. It can, it can, you look at him on a bag, you think, do you know what? He could. And the lads in the, in the gym, because they know that I'm terrified of him wanting to box, they laugh about the fact that he could actually box if he wanted to, you know, and, and uh, that terrifies me. He's been brought into a, you know, healthier eating sort of environment. So he looks in good shape. Like I said, he looks after his body. His football, he works so hard at it. And and I just think that sometimes your environment, my, my environment, I didn't have that. We ate terrible as, you know, when I was a kid, we ate terrible as a family. Nothing healthy, nothing like that. It was only, only once I started, I moved away and I started living on my own that I started changing that. And then my body changed. I become healthier. Um, so it doesn't matter what environment you're in. If you can change that environment, if it's not suitable towards being an athlete or suitable to to being successful, you can change that yourself, and you can you can change that path. But 
somebody who's been doing it longer, it's repetitive. And the, the day, if you're practicing something a thousand times and I practice it 10,000 times, odds are I'm going to be better, you know, regardless of your natural talent, but your natural physical capabilities will give you an advantage. You know, if I'm not a banger and I get into a punch up with you and you can bang, you might not be technically as good. You might, you might not throw as many punches as me, but if you beat me to that shot and hit me with that shot, then you can, you can knock me out. Whereas if I can't punch then odds are, you know, you're not going to get hurt off of me. You know, certain people have different advantages over others, but this still takes the work. This still takes the, the, the discipline and the dedication to get to maximize the potential. Like you said, Picking up on what Dave said there, Andy, because he's uh, he just, uh, I was thinking of it as he was talking. Now, I haven't read that book by Matthew Side, but I've, I've heard about it and I know, I know what, what the gist of it. Now, from primary school, to, to me, there were two good friends of mine and they were both very sporty as well, both good at football, good at all sports, fast, everything. Now, when I look at them and we look at myself, they, I would say they were as talented in, in, in their sports, but because I think one of the things that Matthew's side talks about is motivation and yeah. drive, basically, you know. And I, that, they may well have been as talented as me, maybe more. I don't know in different different sports, whatever. But there's no when they didn't have anywhere close to the, the the desire, you know, that that motivation. Like, I mean, I was sleeping, eating, breathing, dreaming. In, you know, not dreaming at night. Every, Every man dreams in their sleep. I'm dreaming through the day. Do you know what I mean? Constantly. And I think that that was probably the difference. But but there is, I, I mean, you know, Conor McGregor, I remember Conor McGregor had that kind of famous quote, didn't he, where he said, you know, there's no talent here. There's no talent here whatsoever. This is just an obsession. Now, I don't believe that's totally true. Because like you say, some people pick things up quicker. Some people are easier to coach. Now, but me and those those two lads that went to school, they were talented. They were like three of us could pick things up quickly. We were athletic, all those things. But the one that probably separated me from them was that drive. It was that. And then you talked about the, the 10,000 hours as opposed to, say, 1,000 hours. But again, I haven't read the book, but I think he talks about when you compound that. So you've got Floyd May with a junior, for example. Now you see Floyd May with a junior and you see his old man and you can see there is a massive obsession going on there. But yeah. not only is it an obsession of Floyd Mayweather they're putting in the hours, he's putting in the hours with his dad, who's someone that fought Sugar Ray Leonard and was a top fighter and knows the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. So when he's spending an hour with his coach, that's better than me spending an hour just hitting the bag in the gym on my own. You know, he's, he's spending an hour with his dad, someone that's showing him the correct way to do it. So he's repeating correctly. He's doing it the right way for an hour and then the next hour and the next hour and the next hour. Yeah. You put 10,000 hours of that. You're compounding it because you're, yeah. he's doing it in the right way. It's getting better and better and better where if I'm just practicing in a gym on my own or with a coach who isn't that good, you know, my level, my uh, rates of improvement are going to be slower. But if you're yeah. there with someone that's, you're doing, te- you, you've got that obsession of 10,000 10, hours going on with someone that knows how to do it properly, then you're compounding it. I, th- I think that's, that's spot on that, spot on that is. And, but also as well, what you touched on there, talk about motivation, that's the mentality side of things, right? What, what I tend to find is that when you hear these people that are ultra successful, your Ronaldo's, your Kobe Bryant's, your people like that, your Michael Jordan's, your people like that, right? Their mentality is a different level to even normal champions. Right. They take things extra. And what I find is with 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 kids, especially children these days. Right. And I'm not knocking, but it is how it is. Right. We are taking away this competitive side, this winning side. I don't know if any of you have, have been to parent uh, to um, uh, sports day at school. You can't win. It's about just taking part. And I mean, I mean, fun and there's nobody winning races anymore. So because they don't want to offend the kids that don't win. If you don't breed that winner's mentality from a young age, they will always be at, be behind the ones that are wanting to win, right? You've got to understand that you can't win all the time, yeah. You've got to understand how to take a loss, yeah. But in order to reach the absolute pinnacle of the sport, you have to be a winner there. And you have to be willing to do whatever it takes there. 
you have to push yourself there because if you don't push yourself there, you can't push yourself here to where it needs to be. And and a lot of kids, I'm seeing it because obviously with football and, and, and things like that, and, and, and I've had kids in, in boxing gyms for years before, you know, you see it with the mentalities and you see it with how, how some of the parents are with them. They, you know, a kid falls on floor and it's like they're running to, oh, is he all right? Yeah, play football. Football, don't worry about it. He's going to get up and he's going to carry on running in a minute. You know, you, they've got to have a, a tougher mentality. And as we're, as we're progressing, I also feel as though if a kid wants to be a winner, a lot of people look at that in a bad way and they say, oh, it shouldn't be like that. Should be. But some kids have fun while they're wanting to win. You know, and yes, you know, you've got to you've got to manage it so that they don't, you know, they're not bad losers, they're not sulking about it and things like that. But yeah, be pissed off if you get beat, but acknowledge it and try and be better. Why why? Because somebody's got to end up being the best in the world eventually, the next generation. But I'll I guarantee you, whoever in every sport grows up to be the best in the world isn't happy every time they lose. Isn't the kid that'll push himself so far and then think can't bother with rest there he's the one that drives and drives and drives and forever that we have sport and we want to have winners that sort of thing needs to be embraced a little bit more rather than look down on it. i i see people say i i it's like with my son i don't listen he might turn around tomorrow or he might we're, we're going football training in a bit he might train for a, for a, an hour and a half come off a pitch and say dad do you know what i've had enough to, i've had enough now of football that might happen he's nine years old so I'm not buying everything, you know, I'm not into all oh, this, this is the be all and end all. But there are some kids that will not stop and will keep driving to be best and be best and be the best and push themselves and push themselves. And that ain't a bad thing because we, we want as kids to push themselves at school academically. Or you must sit down there and you don't move from that table until you've done your own work, until you've done this, you've done that. You need to hit those grades. We put all these pressures on, on kids academically because you want them to leave school, get a great job that's probably not going to be the, going to be there because there's plenty of academically um, gifted kids and they've got all these, got all these uh, uh, great results and exams and everything and they can't get a job. But yet, when it comes to sport, I find, only in my experiences, I find that a lot of people kind of just look at you as if to say, why are you doing that with your kid? You say, well, I, should be, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, I should, he should just be wanting to have fun. Well, my kid likes to have fun, by, whether we're playing FIFA, whether we're having a game of basketball, whether we're doing press-ups or we're playing football, my kid wants to beat me. And I won't let him beat me unless he works, but he has to earn to beat me, do you know what I mean? And so he has that in him where when he does win, he understands that it's hard work as one because he has to work and work and work. If you just keep letting your kid win, they don't have that same work ethic. It's only it's only way that I look at things and it's only way that 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 you know I see things. But I'm not saying it's right, but that's the way that I see things. You touched on something really interesting there, I think, um, which I was going to kind of come on to and so you you've done it for me really. And I've watched a lot of documentaries about coaching and, and about parents and pushy parents and all the rest of it and, and at what stage you need to really start pushing and, and all these kinds of things. We've all seen nightmare parents on the on the sideline. I know you I know you coach Theo's team as well, I'm sure I'm sure it's exactly the same. But there ha- there has been a bit of an evolution though, just generally in the way, as you mentioned there, that children and they are children, um are kind of treated and what is and what is not acceptable. You look at you look at Russian fighters, uh, any kind of Russian athletes, they'll be sent off to some kind of academy, the, the Moscow Spartak Academy or whatever it may be at the age of eight or nine. Uh, and in some cases, they never see their parents again and they are bred to be athletes. The, the Cuban amateur system, for example, the Finca in, in, in Cuba, they're recruited young and it is a brutal regime. It is very, very hard. And that's one of the reasons, undoubtedly, why they've had so much success. But people would say that that is far too high a price to pay for these people as individuals and that you shouldn't, you shouldn't subject youngsters, children to, 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 to conditions like that. But you yourself know, Dave, as a professional, he's too young at the minute, Theo, so you won't, you won't he's a little bit a few years off it yet, but there will come a point if he keeps progressing where you'll look at it and you'll just think, okay, it seems to me now that he really does have a shot here. I've got to start pushing him harder 
and see how he reacts to it. Now, you and him might fall out. Your wife might not like it. But it seems to me that that point, that point does arrive because it's so competitive. But you see, this is this is the thing of, about importance, um, in in especially how things are now with mental health and things like that. You have to add, you have to add, cater for that factor as well, right? Because while ever feels enjoying it, number number one th- number one rule in life is that you have to be happy. If you if you can't be happy, everything else will knock on a negative effect. And so for your child, he has to enjoy it. I never say to him, right, this week we've got this training, 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 training. He will come to me and he will say, dad, he makes me, I, I've, I've never been interested in doing a leg circuit for me. I do my leg circuit because I do it with him because he says to me, are we doing a leg circuit today? Oh, okay. Yeah, no worries. And I might not feel like wanting to do it, but I have to do it because he wants to do it. While ever he wants to do things, we will do it. Well, I, there's, you know, you said about he's too young. He's not too young. There's kids at six years old being signed by football clubs. I think it's wrong. Six years old. And I've always said he's, he's, tra- he's been lucky enough to train with Man United, with Everton, with, with, with Wednesday, with Lee. Uh, he's been able to train with these clubs, right, which is great. But I wouldn't want him to be in, in that environment at that age. He's too young. You know, he's coming up to now. Uh, uh, um, he's he's going to be in the under 10 season. Uh, this season on the Thames and again people are saying oh, it needs to be being picked up it needs to be being picked up it doesn't need to be picked up he goes to an academy for his coaching skills and stuff like that he loves it that's fine lockdown he kept saying to me I'm, I, I need to be I need competitiveness I'm missing competitiveness now he's back playing football with people he's enjoying it again like that while everybody wants to do it he will do it I, I've always said to him I'll open doors for you but you've got to be willing to work hard I, I can't want it more than you. And this is as a boxing coach where it's irritated me in the past. And, and Matt, you, you have seen kids like this with, with the trainers that you've worked with where the coach wants it more than the fighter. You can't have that. The fighter's got to want it. You know, the coach can turn up. It can be there. Can be, but if he's constantly on the phone, where are you? You're late. You're this. You're that. You're that. That's no good. And it's the same with your kid. You, it's no good being a pushy parent because the kid's, going to fall out of love with it and somebody asked me somebody asked me yesterday they sent me a message about the kid you know oh i'm, I'm, want, I'm hoping he gets picked up by an academy blah blah I said, don't worry about that i said he's got he, a kid was i think the kid was six years old i says man i says just have fun let the kid have fun he will develop with fun and like matt says if you put him with a good coach that knows what he's doing he'll pick up the right things but as he's enjoying it it'll go it'll go if my if my son went to an academy and he didn't all right, it, it was with an academy, but he didn't enjoy the training. It felt as though he wasn't. His words was, "It felt as though he wasn't learning anything." So I pulled him out, and that's 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 a Premiership club, and I pulled him out because he said he, he weren't enjoying it. It weren't. Now some parents would probably, "Oh yeah, but you're in this club. You're in. You've got your foot in." Don't care. Don't care. The kid's got to be happy because he'll fall out of love with you anyway. If you're in an environment that you don't enjoy, you will stop doing it, and then it's gone. And also, like I said about mental health, the kid will feel under pressure. He can't want to do it because his dad wants to do it, you know. And as a as a football coach, I'm seeing that with a with a with a, I've seen that with a kid that I've had, where you see you see the kid when he's not with when his dad's not there, he expresses himself. He's brilliant. He he, he celebrates when he scores a goal. He's great. And then when his dad's there, he goes into his shell. And I've had to say to the dad, look, if he either needs a break from football or you need to give him some time where just let his mum come watch him play because he's trying to impress you too much. He's trying, he's doing it for you. He's trying to impress you too much and he's not enjoying his football. And so I've had to have that, that conversation as a football coach. You know, you, you, your kid can't do it just to impress you because it puts too much pressure on, on the little minds. And as you're saying, Ander, as, it, as the states get grow and it gets bigger and bigger. That's why you see these kids that are great potential. And Matt, you have seen it in boxing as well, where these kids, as juniors, they're very, very good. And they've, they've worked hard all their life. They get very, they're very, very good. They're intense, they're this. And they kind of burn out. But it's mentally burning out because of the pressures, because maybe they're not enjoying it more, but they feel as though they've put all this work in, so I've got to carry on doing it. And it causes mental health issues. It causes pressure for them. Mm-hmm. 
Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Well, internal motivation is 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 the phrase that um that Matthew Side uses and, and it's absolutely key. Of course, you have to want to do it. As you say, you can't want to do it for, for other people. Matt, to kind of turn it back towards boxing a little bit, as you said, you showed a lot of a lot of promise, a lot of potential um in other sports. And that's that's quite normal for 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 people who go on to be professionals in, in one sport. They generally, when they were younger, they could do pretty much anything they they tried. So why then did you decide that boxing was going to suit you more than other sports? I think I know the answer to this, but I'll just let you give it because it's one that fighters give me quite a lot. They've generally all played team sports and then they gravitate towards towards boxing. Well, if I knew then what I knew now, <laughs> I would have to boxing. But uh, no, I suppose look, the, best way I can, the best way I can describe it is you know, I'll give you so a club bout. I remember boxing on a club bout on a Thursday night on the back end of Wolverhampton somewhere on a dinner show, and I won a fight. And um, this is a club bout. You know, it's not championships or anything like that. It's just a club bout. I think it was like my seventh or eighth fight. And I'm just using this as one example, but this would have been any fight. And I won the fight, and I was like, I mean, I was so high that night that it. it I mean, I know I think I scored a hat trick in uh, the cup final. I think might have been a couple of months later for the club, and I was buzzing. We won, and team spirit, and we're all cheering and everything. I scored a hat trick. I'm man of the match. But I'm telling you now, I was nowhere near as high or felt as high that day. And it doesn't really get any higher than that when you score a hat trick and you're man of the match in a cup yeah. final. It doesn't get any higher than that. I was nowhere near on as the, the level of the high I was on didn't even compare to the level of a high that I was on when I won that club bout. And there was nobody there, only my club coach in the back end of Wolverhampton. Do you know what I mean? There was nobody there. Now, and on the flip side of that, when I when I lost the club bout, and I was like, you know, at this you know, 12 years age, and I'm certainly too old to be crying. I was sobbing. I mean, inconsolable before I even got out of the ring. You know, I'm not crying from the punches. I'm crying from the, mm. the heartbreak that I've lost. Absolutely devastated. And again, on the football, you know, if I'd, have, if I'd have had a bit of a shocker and I got took off, I'd have been pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> but I guarantee you I wouldn't have been fucking crying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have been subbing him. So the highs and the lows of boxing is like that absolute, the, 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 the pinnacle of both yeah. ends of that spectrum. You're either on, you couldn't get any higher. You're just floating on air, literally floating on air or... It's devastation in boxing. We're in football. It's a team game. Yeah. Win. Oh yeah, we're buzzing. We lose. Oh, we played shit today. Oh well, fuck it. We'll go next week. Yeah. You know, it was it was the highs and the lows. It was just, and I think that it's something to do with that. I think that's what it was. I think it's, maybe it's because it's an individual sport and it's all on you. Maybe it's because of the nerves and the fear that you get through. You know, because you, you don't want to feel gutted and, and losing. You know, your pride and all that. Maybe it's that. I don't know, but it's the. Um, the boxing, the the, the, the it, sports emotes. All sports are a bit of an emotional roller coaster of a journey: highs, lows, disappointments, achievements, whatever. But I think boxing is just like so much more than the other sports. I think I think you're right on that, and I, and I also think that um, mental for fighters to be a fighter, just the thought of going in there. You forget about people. Just look at fight night. The life that you have to live as a fighter is so withdrawn from reality and, and what other people do in the general lives down to what you can and can't eat. Your family might have, you might have biscuits in your cupboard and things like that. You can't touch them. Your family sit down and they're eating some nice food and you're eating just, just basic crap. It's just the lifestyle. The lonely, the lonely distance, to be it, honest. It is, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, so I think mentally there is something in a fighter's mentality that is completely different to other. Now, anyone can walk into a gym. I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about the ones that, because you know, thousands will walk into a gym, but then the amount that actually 
push ourselves and go through that, become a, forget about the amateurs, go into the professional and live their life as a professional fighter for the rest of their career until the mid thirties or whatever. The people that can do that and sustain that, there is something different in their mental makeup because, like you said, Matt, the highs and lows mentally, the torture that your mind goes through, especially these days with, with social media, with things that the fighters have to put away there as well. You know, there is there is something different about their mentality and their makeup and their 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 toughness compared to the average man because the average man, yes, might have a bit of white collar experience, might do a bit of training, go on the bags, do a little bit of sparring, but to do what you guys do in front of thousands, millions, whatever, and have that, and then have that following you around for the rest of your career, you know, rest of your life, you know, it's, it takes, it takes a certain mentality. And, and I think this ties in a bit as well. So many, obviously not all, but loads, like I'd say way more than most <clears throat> other sports. So many boxers have addictive personalities. And then yeah. when they finish boxing, the, yeah. to try and reflect, fill that void with, with 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 other stuff, you know, and, and and they end up in trouble. But you know, they but they were they were they had the addictive personality long before they ever took a drink of alcohol or took a drug. Yeah. You know, that was their makeup anyway. That's what probably drove yeah. them on in sport. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's a a, a very valid point. And and actually, a, a, again, it's, it's something I was going to come on to. It's it's a really interesting one that because some professional athletes I've observed at close quarters. Uh, not you, Macklin. Don't worry. Um, some of them, I've just thought, wow, you're 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 really you're absolutely outstanding, elite level. Um, but the price that you've paid for it is that you're a complete asshole, um, and 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 there's just no kind of getting away from it. As a functioning human being, they're an absolute abomination. Um, but they would feel that they needed to be like that to get to where they to where they need to to get to. I mean. Again, it's very, very early days. But um, do do you? Strange question, Dave. Would you even want him, Theo, to be a professional athlete? Given because you know the price that 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 you have to pay for it. Now you see, that's the thing. It's like it's a percentage of people. Listen, you could be working in uh, in retail, and you could be an out and out wanker that treats people badly. You know, selfish ignorant you could it's part of human nature some people are going to be like that no matter what job they have some people in sports are like that in football in 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 boxing i know footballers that are really good people really nice people and and they've done really well in football so i think it's how you bring them up i'm very i'm very conscious about my both my kids my daughter as well i'm very conscious about making sure that they grow up to be nice people i've always said to them that if you're a nice person if ever you fall on hard times, you've got more chance of somebody wanting to help you out. Whereas if you're an arsehole and then you fall on bad times, people kind of going to look at you, well, you deserve that. And just to get on in life, I think it's, it's so much less stress, less pressure if you try and do the right thing, if you're a nicer person. So for me, if I can instill my kids to be good people first and foremost, then whatever career they end up going into, they'll be good people. And I think that, first and foremost, is, is the most important thing. You know, teach, make sure they've got manners. Make sure they can communicate with people. You know, I can, I can bring my kids down and see you lot and they'll be able to speak, you know, and, and, and you can have a conversation with them rather than kids that aren't, aren't comfortable being able to talk in front of people, you know. Just trying to bring out the personality, but make sure that they're nice people. And then whatever, whatever sport they go into, if it's a sport, whatever profession it is, then they'll, you know, they'll be nice. They'll, and also give them an understanding, make sure they've got an understanding of what the outside elements are and the outside influences are. So you don't turn a nice kid into a wanker because that can happen with, with surroundings and, and influences. You know, if you go into a music industry, if you go into, into sport, football, boxing, whatever, you can change that personality if you have the wrong people around you. But if, if you try and teach them to, and, and educate them to make sure your circle is a good circle, then you're, you're preparing them, you're helping them. It's, you know, it's like anything where we as kids, we can arm them, we can teach them, we can give them knowledge, but they have to use that. You know, you, you, you talk about your kids about, you know, don't, don't be getting somebody pregnant too early. Don't, you know, don't, don't be doing stuff like that. But you see so many kids end up doing it. And the, and the parents are like the good, good people. They've tried the best to, to instill that, that education on kids. 
but kids will be kids ultimately. I think what's a good talking point and it's a, you know to discuss, and I, I don't necessarily go one way or the other on it, but it's definitely something worth talking about. And it's I think quite because you talk about happiness there and mental health. Well, I think a lot quite often. <laughs> I think most, quite often in life, people think people strive to be successful. They just strive to be yeah. successful. Yes. Assuming, assuming that happiness exactly. is a byproduct of success. But yeah. ironically, quite often, what it takes to be successful is counterproductive to what it takes yeah. to be happy. You know, yeah. you'll hear people in sports saying, you've got to be selfish. You know, greed in the form of ambition. You know, you, I want more. I've achieved this. Now I want to achieve more. I'm never happy. You know, you're never happy. You're never satisfied. Mm-hmm. You want more. That greed for success. You've got to achieve more. Yeah. You know, they're things that don't lead you to happiness. You know, they're, 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 they're pushing you the other way. But you'll yeah. be successful. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that greed yeah. to achieve more and to never be happy and to want more. That's, that's a massive uh, ingredient towards driving you to be successful. But... Happiness will never exist if you if you always want more. No. Do you know what I mean? If you know if you think the grass is always greener or yeah. there's more over there, then you're never going to yeah. find that sort of fulfillment or happiness. So, and also by being selfish means you'll probably alienate yourself from friends. You'll become lonely. You'll become paranoid. I think everyone's after something. And so, quite often in sport as well, and particularly boxing because it's a lonely sport, uh, um, you know, a solo sport. Uh, quite often you. So in order to be successful, a lot of those things, if, if they're not checked, if they're not kept in yeah. the right, if they're not checked, can lead you into a place of where you actually find yourself lonely, yeah. um, jealous, yeah, resentful, all these things. You know, it's counterproductive sometimes. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. So do, do you think, though, that, um, uh, yeah, that, that isn't that we've gone off, we've gone off down all sorts of paths here and I knew we would and that this was, this was where this, this, this discussion was always going to take us. One thing I've, I've wondered about boxing for a while in terms of the kinds of, of, of characters that it, attracts um, to be amateurs and also to be professionals, but just in how they are to deal with as well. Do you think that the nature of the sport and the fact that everybody really does have to come through the same way? Okay, you can make it onto Team GB and, you, and you'll be training in Sheffield and those are excellent facilities, but I've seen where they live up there. You know, they're not being weighted on hand and foot. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. They keep it pretty Spartan for a reason. Do you think that... That grounding and the fact that when you turn pro, you do have to start with four rounders or six rounders. Well, you don't have to, but pretty much everybody does. Even if you sign with a big promoter, you'll be in a, and you'll be on a big show. Yeah, you'll all have paid your dues in, 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 to it to a certain degree. Do you think it just keeps fighters more grounded than other athletes could can can possibly be? And then you also just kind of throw in the fact that boxing is. It's the ultimate leveller. One one lapse in concentration and you're knocked out. And, you know, there's nothing more. I wouldn't have thought there's anything that brings you back more back down to earth than that. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it's a very humbling sport. It doesn't matter whether you're from a rich background or a poor background. When you get in that ring or the preparation that you're having to do for it, it's kind of the same, you know. It still, it still hurts when you get hit with a shot, whether it's to the body or the head, whether you've got, a great, you know, silver spoon background, or whether you're a kid that's that's struggling and and trying to trying to grab a living, you know. And and when when that's all said and done, that is a leveler. Like you say, everybody's on the same same footing there, really, for me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a funny one, but I, I'm probably kind of going back to what I was on about before. But it kind of on this as well. It's I'm just thinking about the happiness one there as, as we were talking when you're training. I'm trying to think when I was training for a fight, really, I wouldn't have said. 
I was happy day to day in, in, when I was training for. Finals. But did you enjoy really, training? Yeah, I enjoyed. The, I enjoyed the two hours I was in the gym. But then yeah. you know, the hours outside of the gym, you're, you're lonely. Um, well, I trained. I always trained away from Birmingham. I was never trained in Birmingham really, so I was always yeah. in digs. It was in budget cheap things because you're trying to keep the cars stand so they weren't the best. Yeah. Then you know, so you're lonely. You're hungry. Um, yeah, if you if you sparred well that day, you're on a bit of a buzz. But if you got your yeah. head punched in and you start thinking, <laughs> Shit, it's not happening for me. Yeah, yeah. I'll be here asking me a fortune to be over here. It's not really clicking into gear. You know, then I'm thinking, all I'm you know training yeah. hard because all these fuck all the all these fuckers, these people that I've imagined in my head want to see me get beat. You know, I'm yeah, yeah. Or I'm thinking everyone wants. You know, that's <laughs> if you think about it. When I think back. That's not a happy state of mind <laughs> to be no. in. But but I'll tell you what there was. There was some fucking drive born out of it. Yeah. Like defiance. You know, when I'm running that track and I want to stop, I'm thinking, nah, I ain't gonna let them fuckers beat me. You know, there was like you, but you, so for ten weeks, it, let's say ten weeks you're training, you're in this this these digs, you're lonely, you're sparring hard, you're dieting, you're constantly thinking, you you're constantly gene yourself up because you're you're basically doing stuff that's you know, you're having to dig deep in, in these sessions. And in order to dig deep and get through it, you're putting yourself in a corner thinking, all oh, these fuckers want to see me beat. Yeah. And I'm just laughing because I'm thinking, what a mad sport, really, when you think yeah. about it. Because you're not, that's not a 10 week. You haven't been happy for 10 weeks. You've just been fucking driving, man. Yeah. But obviously, when you win on the night of a fight, that moment, that, that pinnacle of that, euphoria of that high is so unbelievable yeah. that it seems like all that time all that yeah. uh, work was worth it and funnily enough i was saying this to eddie uh, earlier after that then comes a massive low because you've been yeah. up so high you hit this yeah. low on monday tuesday wednesday after the yeah fight. yeah I feel half depressed <laughs> yeah yeah under i i get that 100 i understand that 100 and so so that that at the end of the camp and you get your win and everything that is the that is the addictive bit I think yeah. that's addictive I and then and I always next yeah week. yeah that's it <laughs> and then I say I, th- I think that for me we fight on the Saturday the Sunday you're kind of like alright but then the Monday I always have a down day on the Monday the Monday is when, when it usually it's me you know even, even after a win or anything like that but the Monday actually gets me but, but that's like a drug, isn't it? You know, because like what goes yeah. when you're on highs and lows, what goes up? Yeah. Come down. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. In that boxing, you've been fucking driving and gritting and visualizing yeah. and thinking everyone's a fucker. Yeah. <laughs> so you're putting yourself yeah. in that dark place in order to build that sort of inner strength, I suppose, that drive. But then you hit it, you get the win, you know, hopefully. And you're on this unbelievable high and everyone's around you and everyone's celebrating with you. And even the Sunday, it'll spill into that. But like you say, Monday, Tuesday, yeah. on, on an almighty yeah. low that you hit, it's mad. So just to circle back to to what we what we started discussing at the at the very beginning, and and we were never seeking absolute truth with this because it is a complex kind of subject. But you did say at the beginning, Dave, that when people say to you, "Oh, Theo, so you're so talented," it, it annoys you because it it overlooks all the hard work that goes in as a coach. Do you therefore find that word itself, talent or talented, unhelpful? Because what surprises me, go on. It's not the word, it's not saying he's talented. That, that's not a problem. It's saying he's naturally talented. It, those two words together, I don't like because I just think it discounts all the effort, the hard work, the discipline, the dedication, everything else, just to sum it up in that one word where it's just, oh, you're lucky because you're talented. You're lucky because you were born like that. No, it's not. And that's why I don't like naturally talented. I don't like that term. You well, know, it's like you watch, there's so much more to it. Did you watch, and I'm pretty sure Andy did, did you watch the um, Last Dance with Michael Jordan? Yes. Like, yeah, I thought it was like, brilliant. You know, Amazing. Hearing him talk about his high school thing, he wasn't the first yeah. one on the draft, even though he obviously he was the best basketball player there's ever yeah. been. You know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not up with Kobe Bryant and that, but, you know, certainly at his yeah. time, he was the best yeah. they had ever been. But, yeah. You know, he was he he wasn't the first one out of, out of the draft. So he's obviously worked. No. He's obviously, he was obviously yeah. talented, but he yeah. worked harder than anyone else. Yeah. And you see that mentality and that mindset that he had. It was all about winning for him, wasn't it? 
Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, he had an extra. Just what I'm saying about these people like this. It's that winning mentality. It takes you to different places where somebody who's happy to, mm, all right, I'll give it my best shot. Give him my best shot and a winning mentality is are two different things for me. But it's like Roy Keane, isn't it? You get to a point yeah. where people, you know, yeah. people are like, well, chill out, mate. And he's like, nah, I want the, I'm not yeah. going to chill. I want to win. And I, if you don't, if you've got the same mentality and the same mindset as me, I don't want to be with you because I'm, I'm going all the way here and I don't want people on this team with me who are prepared to go where I'm prepared exact to go. Exact same as them. Yeah, I think I think one yeah, of the things- guys, I I've got to shoot, I've got to shoot now because I've got to take, I've got to get to Leeds, I've got to take him to football training. Right, it's going to be longer than longer than. Uh, well, don't be that bad on the sideline losing your shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, mate. Don't worry about that. Okay, no problem, no problem, Dave. Um, it's been a good chat. It's been interesting. Um, thanks for your company as always, and we'll we'll catch you down the line. Cheers. We'll catch you down the line. Uh, everybody else, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Um, We'll be bringing you these, as I've said before, regularly until the until uh, until Christmas time. Uh, we've got plenty of boxing uh, coming up, so if you could find a way onto to iTunes and give us a, a, a rate and a review, that that does help us. And we'll catch you again next time. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.